Phillips to Moore. Foley inside, it's worked so well, Hodge, Falau must be this time, surely, Rhys Hodge scores. Hello everyone and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. That's the show that's getting you over the gain line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Rugby Reg and we're coming to you via Eon Sports Radio or from our website greenandgoldrugby.com, the home of all things rugby in Australia. And with me tonight again is Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Mate, I am pumped after what an amazing win on the weekend, but which one am I talking about? Yes, exactly right. And, and Hugh Cavill's joining us well. How are you? Talk about Australia. Come on. It's a Wallabies podcast, Matt. <laughs> Jeez, I'm, yeah. I'm great. I'm great, Reg. I'm not going to be uh, subtle about it. The Wallabies, what a great win! What a great win! Uh, looking forward to discussing it. Excellent, and we will discuss it. We've got a special guest coming up. Before we get there, I do want to start from the top and acknowledge this fantastic Irish win, history-making Irish win over the All Blacks. And it must be said on the forum and on Facebook and Twitter, you know, there's a few Aussies have copped a bit of flack from the Kiwis for being bitter Aussies and celebrating this win like it's one of ours. But, you know, surely there's some justification in there somewhere with some sort of Irish connection for us. Matt, what's, you know, you got any connection to the Irish there that you can sort of jump on this bandwagon? Mate, it runs thick through my veins. Um, actually, there is, uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it's like a quarter, an eighth of me, which is actually Foley. There you go. Um, and my dad has an Irish passport. And so it, it runs, you know, that Irish lineage is very strong in me. But not only that, um, once when on a holiday in Ireland, a driving holiday, I uh, kissed the Blarney Stone. Uh-huh. And then and then went on to talk my way out of a speeding ticket on the way back from the castle. <laughs> so that's no word of a lie. So, yeah, so the Irish uh, blood runs thick through me and hence I was uh, dancing a jig um, after they absolutely belted the All Blacks um, on the weekend. Nice work. What about you, Hugh, mate? You, what, where's your Irish? Well, look, me, I've had troubles with the Irish in the past on the side, as you'd know, Reg. And, and, and I, <laughs> I don't... What is justification? <laughs> I don't have any... That's that level of lineage. I don't think I have anything much at all in common with the Irish. Actually, no family history, no. I've never even visited there. The only thing I was racking my brains, and I too, much like all of the Irish people, I've never played in a World Cup semi-final. <laughs> um, so, so there's that. Uh, yeah, I think we'll have to leave it there. <laughs> if I was to guess, though, Hugh, maybe there's probably some ancestors of yours who locked up some Irish people. Um, <laughs> so, if, or maybe even shot a few, if I had to guess. Well, uh, I, I, uh, the, 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 the distinguished Cavill family history is a, a subject for another podcast, I think, Matt. <laughs> I think we could do a whole series, but we might save that for the off-season. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic. What about, what about you then, Rich? Come on, mate. What, you know. My tenuous connection is that, as you may know, I used to stu- I studied in the states for a little while. I lived in lived in the states at a, a small town right in the Gulf of Mexico called Daphne, Alabama, a, a university there. And, and I remember turning up on my first week of university. This is 1995, and uh, there's a student notice board. And on that notice board, there was a, a note to Conor O'Shea: Please call Brendan Mullen 
with a phone number. Now, as you may or may not recall, <laughs> Connor O'Shea was a fir- former Irish footballer, uh, rugby player, the fullback, who uh, I had, had found out actually went to this university, same university I attended, and Brendan Mullen was a former Irish centre. And I found out that that was the call to talk to update Connor about rugby going professionalism in Ireland and the, the model for the structure uh, in, in the UK going forward. So, you know... Uh-huh. I was part of history there, but that's my tenuous Irish link. I went to the same university as a former Irish international. So let's go, boys. Way back in 1974 when you had to use yes. those boards to get in contact <laughs> with people. <laughs> exactly right. Now, look, guys, we, uh, we, I talked about a special guest. We've got a big show on today, and, and we've got to bring him into the loop t- uh, for us. We had JB on last week helping us out with the Wales preview. So where else but to go this week but to Scotland? And, and joining us is uh, another... Scottish, another podcaster, a Scottish one this time. It's Matthew Hannay. Hey, Matt, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Uh, great to be on the show. Real honour. Uh, big fan of the pod. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, our privilege, mate. And, and you're a bit of a podcast yourself. Talk us through it. What's your uh, show all about? And, and give us the big sell. Uh, yeah, so it's called the Thistle Rugby Podcast. Um, we basically started it a couple of weeks ago um, just to focus exclusively on Scottish rugby. Um, very niche, but sort of spotted a gap in the market. A couple of episodes in, and yeah, it's going pretty well so far, and just been a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, good stuff. So, what's the format? Similar to Green and Gold, just loose talk about uh, the domestic comp and so on? Yeah, similar. Uh, we try, I think, each, each episode to sort of tackle, similar to you guys, three or four sort of burning issues, officially issues, as we call them. Um, hey. and then, yeah, I know. You know, you, you come for the banter, stay for the sharp analysis. Um, and uh yeah and then before that you know we'll sort of do similar preamble talk about maybe some of the results that we've seen in the week um and yeah just basically sort of get on with it talk about scottish rugby excellent matt can i I just ask there mate can i just ask um um, you've had to probably scour pretty high and low to find people with as little knowledge about rugby as we have on this podcast if you're kind of emulating what we're doing (laughs) uh yes i mean we've got Three lads on the pod who sort of never quite made the grade. Um, I think we sort of, two of us played university rugby together, which was sort of more focused on the social side. And um, yeah, that, that's basically it. But, you know, we're all, all big fans. We've sort of been long suffering Scotland and Edinburgh fans since we've been young. Um, you know, we're just hoping for that day that we get a bit of success, a bit of consistency in Scottish rugby. It, well, and that sounds like Reg in Queensland. So you fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. exactly. Well, we'll have to ask about Sam Windsor soon. Wasn't it was Sam Windsor at, at Edinburgh now? Sam, Sam Windsor's Windsor. at Ulster, isn't he? Oh, is he at Ulster? I thought he was at, went to Edinburgh. All right, we'll move on then. We won't talk, get into that. We'll listen to the Egg Chaser <laughs> podcast for all that sort of stuff. Because we there's do that, have our... there's that classic green and gold rugby knowledge coming through right at the top. <laughs> yeah, it's a good start. <laughs> we do have our five thistling questions coming up this week, so um, <laughs> we're going to go through the questions are, and we'll get stuck into them. Number one, what was the best takeaway from the Wallaby win over the Welsh? Question two, and this is where we rely heavily on Matthew. What can we expect from the Scottish team this week coming up? Question three, uh, what do the Irish teach us about beating the All Blacks? Question four, can we get excited about the June Test Series next year, or how do we get excited about it? And question five, Tatafi, Paladin hours off to the force. Does that, uh, does that bring them into the equation next year? So straight to question one, and uh, Mr Cavill, I'm going to go straight for you. The, the Wallabies won. Uh, you're excited. What's the biggest takeaway we can take from that game? Oh, there's... 
Yeah, look, there's a lot, isn't there? Isn't there, Reg? It's hard to pick just one. It was one of those games where, and, and I saw the ratings on the side. I think Hawko did them, uh, and and they're a good read. And, and look, no one had a bad game, really. I mean, the worst you can say is someone like Henry Spate, who you know the ball just never really came to him, and he, and he didn't get much of a chance. But um, everyone else, I thought, was 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 outstanding. Um, I'm I'm going to pull out one takeaway, and I'm going to have to pick a fight with our brother podcast, the Rugby Report Card, who who were talking down. Talking down Lopetti Tamani this week, and, and I'm going to say because really. I know because I know there's been some uh, I know there's been you know plenty of commentary around the locks, and, and I don't want to take away from what Matt will say, but you know plenty of commentary <laughs> around Bernard Foley in the nine and the nine ten and all these sort of guys. But the one guy who's you know look, I think Reg uh, to pull out a, a discussion that I think we had on this pod from probably a couple of months ago about Lopetti Tamani that. I, I think, and we all agreed, we didn't know what he'd be like, and we'd have to wait and see. Um, and, you know, he might have been test quality, but he might not. Well, hasn't he proven us, you know, he's, he's come out and, and, and he's he's absolutely played the house down, I reckon, in, in his three tests and, and provided something that our team's been lacking for quite a while. And, oh, again, it was that work rate, that physicality, getting over the gain line. I mean, look, uh, Blake and Richard on the, on the, on the report card said he was hit behind the game line a lot. Well, I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that at all. I thought, I thought he, you know, he's not, he's not busting over people. You know, he's not leaving three or four people in his wake, but he's just, he gets around the field so well. He's really mobile. He hits some good cleanouts. His discipline's great. He's working the lineouts good. I'm, 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 I'm a fan. I thought uh, he's just continued to improve. Jesus, you're right, mate. He's one of those players that we really didn't know. I mean, he was bits and pieces in NRC and bits and pieces in Super Rugby. You know, he played pretty well, but never sort of dominated for a whole game or for multiple games back-to-back. But his last three tests have been fantastic, and he played the full 80 on Saturday night. And what I liked about him, and indeed the Wallaby attack performance, is they really varied up the attack. You know, they take it one off, they take the pick and drive, they spin it wide, and Tamani was at the heart of that. He's actually a pretty smart player, had some pretty good distribution skills as well. So, yeah, that's a ripper. Tamani's a, a great little find. Yeah, look, yeah. guys, I'm, I'm going to come in here with the doubting Jonah. Um, okay. uh, I got Jonah. We got doubting Jonah back again. Yeah, uh, look, no, look, I can look. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I, I don't think he had disappointing tests. I actually think he showed a lot, and I think he showed that actually he's going to grow into that player we've been looking for, which I think is great. I just don't think he smashed it yet, and I think he did struggle imposing him. I don't not in the work rate. I agree with you there, Hugh. I think he was everywhere. Um, I just think as far as, you know, you know absolutely dominating in, that, in the collision area that I, I think he will do because he's such a monster. Um, I don't think he's done it quite yet, but I, I think he's right on the cusp and um, I think he's going to come through. I don't think it was disappointing. I just, I'm not sure he smashed it for me. Um, anyway, but if, if, if Wycliffe Parlo had played that exact game, you would have given him man of the match, really? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what about if Bernard Foley would have played that match, Reg? He'd be all over it. <laughs> <laughs> um, or Jed Holloway. All right, what about uh, you, uh, Matt, Matt R., so we don't get confused here? What was your big <laughs> takeaway from it then? Uh, oh, there's, oh, there's so many. Uh, look, the one that really hit me as I you know, watched it uh, was just the locks. Um, both Coleman and Arnold had an absolute pearl of games. Um, that huge work rate, uh, they were, you know, especially you know, ball in hand, running, punching through the middle. And that's what's so important to, to check a ball, as we've come to call it, is that it really relies on forwards getting over the game line, um, you know, 
moving uh, the defence back so that and then and getting good, quick, uh, clear recycle um, so that Phipps can be passing you know flat on the advantage line. So look. Uh, I thought those two guys, not only that, uh, they, you know, with only two jumpers managed to, you know, do really well in the lineup. I think they only missed one throw. So those two things together, I think, were just revolutionary uh, or revelationary for, for us. And um, I think they had a massive, massive impact, which then set up what, you know, Phipps, Foley and, you know, Falau kind of did off the back of it. Yeah, it's a good call. And I like your, your touch on the lineups there. You know, those... Arnold and Coleman were fantastic around the park, but the line-out worked really well, considering, you know, there's a bit of imbalance there. We didn't didn't have the tallest or much depth other than those two jumpers. But uh, put a little bit of credit on that, and Stephen Moore, who's probably the one that caught my eye, um, and his throwing was clearly on track. But I thought he had a really, really good game across the park as well, made some good metres, worked hard. I think he, he a dozen tackles or so, didn't miss one. I, I was really impressed. I thought that was the best game I've seen Moore play, at least for the Wallabies, for a couple of years. Um, and, um, uh, and you know, back to – he had the, the good form at the tar- start of the Super Rugby season. But uh, the, great to see Steve Moore come on. But the other guy, and I'll, I'll, I'll claim this too, is Kurandrani. You know, he hasn't, he's been – stuck behind Karevi all season. Um, and we probably haven't seen, you know, Kurandrani at his best for a couple of years either. And, and mm. I thought he was fantastic. Every time he made metres and he, you know, scored that try really cleverly from a fantastic Foley pass. But, yeah, it was great to see him, you know, in amongst it as well uh, against a, a pretty solid um, uh, Welsh centre combination. Exactly. All right, Matt, Hannah, and- let's, let's yeah, go out, Rouse. Did you want to say something there, man? No, I was just going to say, don't forget Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, Matt, let's, from your perspective, a, a bit of a neutral on this one, knowing a bit more probably about the Welsh unit as well. What, what was your takeaway from it? Well, yeah, I suppose I am a neutral, but Australia is my sort of second team, so I was pretty happy about that victory. Good and man. as a Scot, watching a Welsh loss is, you know, one of the best <laughs> things you can possibly expect from a Saturday afternoon. So I was pretty happy at the end of it. Um, yeah, I think that I'd rec- echo all of your points. I thought that Australia looked very much back to their sort of World Cup form um and i think a lot of that started from the breakdown and up front you know they're getting such quick ball and you know when you guys get that quick ball that phipps can start firing out those wide passes fully fully continue to the game line and start you know putting runners like kuridrani and and falau into the game and um i think actually the the fully hodge is probably the 10 12 I'd, i'd go with i don't think that cooper and Foley worked um, so I thought that was really, you know, really exciting to look at. And yeah, I, I think there's, we've talked about it in our own pod, there's maybe that, the New Zealand effect that Australia and all the other teams in the rugby championship looked quite poor because they were playing against the best team in the world. Mm. But it's quite, it's quite distorting. And as a Scottish fan, I'm actually a lot more worried about next week than I was um, before the weekend. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting one. So what about the Wales, Matty? I mean, it's such a bizarre situation. The whole Gatlin thing whereby he's been given leave to, to look after the Lions for the year, so Rob Howley has to step in. So that's, you know, that's dysfunction already, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the, the misfortune of uh, Alan Wynne-Jones pulling out a couple of days before um, with his father p- passing, which is, which is hor- you know, terrible for him and the team. And, and then even, um, oh gosh, who, who pulled out? Was it Jonathan Davies pulled yeah. out? as well of the day so you know a really disrupted uh, lead into the match but they they didn't show much at all in this test did they no i think they just got completely blown away and 
you know, they're a very settled side, but I think it, at the same time, they're maybe getting a bit older and this whole Warren ball, I think, or Gatlin ball, whatever yeah. you call it, I think it's for a team like Australia who are used to playing against big physical teams like South Africa and New Zealand, it's, it's actually quite easy to defend. And you know, when, when Wales did get a bit of ball, their their attack is just, it's so predictable. Um, so maybe if you get, if they get guys like Liam Williams back, back who I think mm. is back this week, um, give him a game, he adds a bit more of a dimension and, and maybe um, Hallam Amos came on and did quite well. But yep. yeah, I think that the Welsh depth is not very good. So as soon as they lose a couple of those big players, they're, they're in trouble. It's the same with Scotland rugby actually as well. Can I, yeah. can I jump in with one more learning, Reg? Yep. One more, if I, if, if I can double dip. The, the other yep. thing that I think was th- that's kind of a, a, a gone a little bit um, unnoticed, uh, and certainly was my takeaway watching it uh, a couple of times, is, is our discipline and how good our discipline was in that game. And every test so far this year, it seems like we've given away three or four really stupid penalties um, you know, whether it's a, a Rory Arnold, you know, a lazy high tackle, we can give yep. away two or three of them a game where, you know, someone will pull someone down in a line out or Stephen Moore will charge in from the side at a ruck. We, we'll do that and, and we'll let opposition into the game. And instead of defending them in their half, all of a sudden they've got a line out in our 22. And we didn't have that at all. Uh, uh, this game and look, Craig Joubert refed it. I thought he did really well, but certainly it suited our style. But um, yeah, one of the other things that I think we've we've slowly been fixing as the season's gone on, and and I, I thought it was the best example of it. We just didn't give Wales half a chance to get into the game, and part of that was just not giving away any stupid penalties. Yeah, good call. Yep, bit of frustrating element all year. Yep, go Matt. Yeah, no, I was gonna I was gonna agree with that, but there was one other thing. So I've been having a running argument all day I'm not really sure almost what it's about now with a bunch of guys will know what it's who I'm talking about but um and what we've been talking about there is Stephen Larkin so you know we all, we all obviously love Bernie I think both this is probably getting a bit worried now about where I'm going with this um because he's very very dear to Bobus's heart but you know we all love Bernie Larkin as a player and I think he all lives on there I think for many people there's a question mark over his coaching um you know because we've seen you know since he's taken over the Brumbies what's happened there and then we, we got this question mark you know what's happening with the Wallabies but I think what we started to see and for example Brian Smith in his article was talking about it on the weekend was that those structures that they've been working into the Wallabies um, a lot of those second phase plays um, uh, and, and how you know switch the direction the chip kicks and all those things that weren't happening only a few months ago are suddenly happening and I think the big change in those, I think those structures have been right, but I don't think we've had the skills to execute. And I do wonder, and I think more than a few people have mentioned this, is that you know the influence of Mick Byrne mm. in maybe providing some of those skills that then allow those attacking structures to work. Um, and I think that's what we saw, you know, minus the, the Dane Haylett Petty blowing of that try, you know, just about everything else, you know, it went to hand. Um, those inside passes, the chip kicks, the, all those sorts of things were really were coming off. And I just thought we saw much sharper skill execution, which, you know, kept everything going, basically. And when we went for the offloads, they tended to work. They weren't overreaching, all those sorts of things. So I think those two things in, in concert, you know, the, the structure that Larkin's been putting in together with the skills of Burn is making a massive impact. Yeah, I think that's a good call. And never more evident than that Bernard Foley try where Arnold and Coleman combined to put him into the gap, which was uh, pretty special. Yeah. Um, 
All right, let's uh, move on to our next burning question. And, and the question is, is simply related to this week is, is what can we expect from the Scottish test? So, you know, uh, Matt and Hugh will, will talk about what we think from a Wallaby team sort of thing. But Matt, Hannah, why don't we start with you and tell us about the Scottish team? We, you know, we, we haven't seen them since the World Cup last year. What do we expect from them? I mean, let's talk about the World Cup game last year. The fact that we were robbed, robbed of our victory <laughs> by Craig Gilbert. Oh, turn it off, turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Craig I mean, look, let's not right. regard Craig Spear. What a, another stellar performance from him on the weekend, I thought. He just keeps going, going from strength to strength at test yeah, level. No, no. I was actually, I was at, I was at that game, and even when we were winning, sort of in the seventy-fifth minute, I was just telling myself it's not going to happen. But uh, um, yeah, so I think that you know we've been under Vern Cotter now for a few years, and I think we've improved a lot. Maybe we haven't sort of got all the results um, that would suggest that, but you know I think our performances have been better. I think we're a harder team to beat. Um, you know, we got some good victories against um, France in the Six Nations last year. We had a pretty good World Cup where I think that that sort of gave us a lot of optimism. Um, but then it's a bit of a funny one at the moment because Vern Cotter is now leaving. Um, he's going to Montpellier mm. and Gregor Townsend is coming in next year. So I'm not quite sure what's happened there in terms of you know, saying that Cotter is going to leave and bringing in a new coach, how that sort of you know works in terms of motivation. Um, I think in terms of the side the squad that's been picked is pretty settled um you know you've got our, our key players like Stuart Hogg Seymour uh Finn Russell the Gray brothers in the row um so it's a pretty strong sort of spine um but the the one issue at the moment is that uh our front row looks pretty underpowered um and that's mainly because VP Nell you know that that proud Scotsman from uh, <laughs> the, che- the cheaters um, you know, dream, dreamed his whole life of playing for Scotland, I'm sure. Um, he is out injured and he's been, you know, one of our best players. I think that he, he might go in the Lions tour, um, you know, one of the best sort of um, tight heads in the Northern Hemisphere for, for the last couple of years. Um, and losing him, we've replaced him with a guy who's a very promising young player, but only has one international cap, um, only a couple of seasons of sort of pro rugby. Um and beyond that, our strength and depth in the front row looks quite quite poor. So I think that's probably the main worry. Um, and then obviously on the back of Australia's performance last week, they, they look very strong. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a tough tough match. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I think we're really expecting it. And from what I hear, Matthew, the, the ticket sales are going gangbusters too. The, I think the, the impression from Wales last week, it was a bit of a non-event. I mean, yeah. they still at 50,000. But from what I hear this week, it's, uh, it's, it's travelling along very nicely. Yeah, I think so. It seemed Wales had Cardiff had 55,000 or something. Which is yeah. Quite, it seemed like a bit of a yeah, dead rubber in the eyes of the, the Welsh. But uh yeah, well, I think there's definitely that element of revenge in the World Cup quarterfinal, um, and that's probably boosted a lot of the, the ticket sales. Um, and you know what? We've actually, in the past few years, had quite a good record against Australia. So yeah. we beat you guys beat you guys in that torrential downpour in, um, was it Newcastle? Yeah, it was, yep. 9-6 or something? Yep. I mean, ter- terrible match, but as a Scottish fan, it was amazing. Um, and we beat you at Murrayfield when... Gitto missed that last Gitto, minute yep. kick. Once again, yeah. we scored we scored nine points in the rain. You know that's sort of our <laughs> our staple. That's your, that's your go-to. 
So hopefully this weekend, well, I haven't looked at the weather yet, but hopefully it'll sort of be a real downpour. Um, well, I have. It's eight degrees and raining is what I just saw. So, Oh, God, perfect. Yeah, bastard. Um, I mean, because <laughs> thinking back to that World Cup match, it was like, you know, as soon as it started raining sort of sideways, I thought, this is it. It's over. Mm. Um, this is meant to be. And, um, and sure enough, that's when things went sort of tits up for us. So um, I, yeah, I think the weather, you never know, could play a big one on this one. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that although Australia really were very good last week, they, they sort of have been quite inconsistent since the World Cup. So um, hopefully we can catch them a bit, you know, a bit unawares. Um, but yeah, I think it should be a good game. As I say, the, our squad's looking pretty settled. Um, we've been playing some good rugby under Cotter. Um, and I suppose, you know, we know that Australia are going to score tries. It's the best thing you're at. It, you know, even in the... Uh, at the England series, you know, though you lost it 3 0, um, you scored yeah, a lot of points. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry to bring that up. Um, <laughs> you, scored a, <laughs> you scored a lot of points. So maybe we need to actually, rather than just slow slow the game in down and hope for sort of just to kick penalties, that we need to actually give it a real uh, crack of the whip. Well, uh, and that's what people forget about that World Cup quarterfinal, isn't it? That was, that was a sensational game of rugby. I think the end score was. 36 34 or something you know it, it was a high scoring affair you know five tries to three i think it was and 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 scotland took the game to the wallabies you know there was a there was a, a couple of really good tries in there and and um and that's you know put scared the life out of every wallaby fan and uh, you know you can you can really argue that the that scotland probably might have deserved to win that game and and so look i, I think it, it's what i think uh, we're all looking forward to it at, at both sides because there is a bit of there's a bit riding on this game from the mm-hmm. World Cup. I think it'd be fair to say the Scots feel a bit hard done by from that and want to settle a, settle a score. And I think we're probably intent to prove it. it uh, we deserved the win and and it, and it wasn't uh, wasn't a fluke in any way. So uh, yeah, and we always have struggled with the Scot the Scots. I'm a bit worried about this game and and there's some yeah really good players in that team and. We have a tendency to switch off after wins. We always we always have. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not entirely confident about this one, Reg. And who, yeah, who do you think, sorry? Who who do you guys see as the, the the danger men for Scotland? Who are sort of the the high profile guys? Well, look, I I I, I mean, Greg Laidlaw is um my, mine, and, and look, he was great during in that. In that um, in that quarterfinal, and I, you know, I think I, I can't admit, and I'm not sure if anyone, any of our guys here, but I can't, I don't follow a huge amount, and, and I haven't followed uh, what's been going on in the Scotland setup. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, look, there's some. He's one of those class players that uh, I think, uh, yeah, he always seems to produce his best against us. So this could really embarrass me. But is Hog playing? Is he is he going to be there this weekend? Yeah, he he should be playing. He's he's um you know sort of shooing for fullback, and I, I think he's mm. there's a lot of talk about him being the starting fullback for the Lions. So, Going in the Lions, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's he's had a great season. He was Six Nations Player of the Year, um, and yeah, he's one of our you know, first first picks. Um, he's the danger man. Um, Finn Russell at standoff. Um, he's sort of quite a young guy, but he's been playing really well. Quite a cocky, arrogant ten, but I think it's what we. We missed for a while, um, and Tommy Seymour, who has come to us via Ireland and Texas, I think, very odd, but um, he's been playing really well. There's a chat of him going on the Lions tour as well. He, he scored against 
Australia in that quarter yeah, final. Yeah, the quarter final. Yeah, um, I remember the, that. Yeah. The charge down off the chip. Yeah. Um, so I think those are sort of the danger guys for for you. And you know, our our packs pretty settled, pretty strong. Um, John Hardy's in there. You know, the the ex Kiwi guy playing well. Yep. Um, so yeah, we've we've got a pretty settled, strong team. And um, yeah, I mean, you talk about Laidlaw, Hugh, and it, it brings to question. And you talk about what we could expect this weekend. And I still don't know which way they'll go with this. So Will Guinea is back in the squad for the Wallabies, which which makes for a fascinating selection discussion now because you know Phipps and Foley have been playing really well and we've seen the best of Foley when he's with Phipps there and, and even more so than that Falau's back to his best as well so again I've got that theory that they're all sort of combined but you can't dispute Guinea's form this year but does that mean we bring him in and run the risk of Foley not getting his best and Falau not getting his best or do we stick to the status quo Matt what do you, Matt Rowley what do you reckon do we persist with the winning team that we had last week Look, I think it's a really, really tough one because Genia is just such a great athlete. And you're right, he's had, um, he's had you know, really great form this year. He also, um, I think a lot of people would say, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, Foley and Genia were actually a partnership a lot of way through the World Cup in some of those biggest matches. But it's hard to deny that when um, – and, and so I think, you know, that can work. But, you know, with – I, I just feel that Phipps and Foley are a combination that really play, you know, they play really, really well together. We're going to come on to the Ireland game in a minute, but I think when you see Phipps at his best, as we saw, um, you know, this last weekend, um, him and Foley, they just have this understanding because they've just spent so much time together. And I think Phipps gives Foley that flat, fast ball that Genia doesn't quite do. And Foley needs that. He needs the whole thing to be moving forward um, to be in his rhythm. So, look, I, you know, I wouldn't disagree that Genia is the better athlete. He's, he's, he's got a better running game. He's probably also got a better kicking game than Phipps. But I just think, you know, Phipps just delivers that ball at pace, at that flat, that enables Foley to play his best game. It's just some of the parts, isn't it? You've got to get the best team out there, and, and probably Phipps and Foley provide that. Um. Matthew, we're going to let you go, mate. We uh, appreciate your time and and, um, uh, and uh, your insight into Scottish rugby and so on. Um, so are you heading along to the game on, on the weekend? Uh, I'm, I'm not able to make it, unfortunately, but I'll be, I'll be watching it um, on TV with a close eye. Excellent. Well, good stuff, Will. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, mate. And once again, the, your podcast is the Thistle Rugby Podcast for all things Scottish rugby. So uh, we'll have to get you on again sometime, mate, and we'll, uh, we'll get an update on all the going on in, uh, in Scottish rugby, hey? Yeah, definitely. Thanks very much for that. And uh, yeah, good luck at the weekend. Cheers, mate. You too. Thanks, we'll mate. catch you soon, mate. Thanks. Bye. Which brings us to our third burning question now, uh, which is that other great performance and and the uh, Irish over the All Blacks, first time ever so over there in Chicago. So uh, I guess to you, Matt, what do you think we can learn from that Irish victory over the All Blacks? We haven't had many of them of late, but that was a, a pretty epic one. Yeah, mate, it was absolutely stunning. I think one of the things, though, that that I really took out of it was that you know, like the Irish scored, I think it was, you know, yeah, five tries to four. So they outscored yeah. New Zealand. Um, they didn't try and, and grind them down. But I think it was the manner of it. So um, you, could get, you could be mistaken for thinking that, you know, the Irish scoring five tries there obviously played, you know, amazing, attacking, free-flowing rugby. And they actually didn't, really. Not in the – I mean, it was a good old-fashioned – Northern Hemisphere mugging, but I don't see that in a way of um, that they kind of just chanced it or something. They played brilliantly well. 
But, you know, their backline play was actually pretty limited. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, if, if you, look, you look at the stats, I mean, they ran less than half the number of metres as, as New Zealand did. Um, they didn't beat the defenders. They didn't have the clean breaks. But what they did, I thought was brilliant, which, you know, was, and I'd heard, I think the um, egg chasers were talking about how Ireland had targeted this match um, from, the, from the end of the World Cup. This was the match that they were really focusing in on. Um, and I think the thing that they did there was, you know, New Zealand is a very clever team in that it, it realises that it sucks up the other team's momentum and then halts it when it needs to. And that usually means as soon as you get anywhere near their half, right? Um, you know, every time they're going to give away a penalty, then they're going to let you, um, you know, keep your momentum and, and get closer to, to their, their try line. And Ireland, every time they did that, what was really interesting, we've seen Australia try and do this, but it fall apart. But because Ireland executed so well, each time they did that, they would kick to the corner, fantastic long-ranging kick, and they'd have a line-out drive from five metres out. I think they yep. scored at least two tries so, from yep. that and probably set, and, well, and well, set up and, another. And then, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and set up at least another two tries from yep. that. I think there's only one try that I think um, came off the back of a line-out where the centre um, came on a hard unders line. But at least four of their tries came from that. And so I think they absolutely punished New Zealand for that. And, and it's something that, you know, we've tried to do that. And you've seen Stephen Moore go for the corner, but, you know, the line-out fails and the drive doesn't work. And before you know it, you know, you know it, it's, it, it's, it's worked. So, you know, but also, I, yeah. Quickly, Matt. Sorry, is that the the all yeah. had Jerome Kano at lock with uh, Tua Paluto or whatever? Yeah. So you know mm. they didn't have a strong line out anyway. So it was it was a perfect game plan. So yeah, go on. Oh yeah, and, and then on top of that, so you had that cut thing come into it, which was you know the New Zealand line out was malfunctioning, and when that happens, you know you know you're under the good chance like like anyone else. But I thought Ireland were brilliant in the way they did that. The other thing that they were absolutely amazing, and they were doing it at the 79th minute, was their kick chase was. I, I don't think I've seen a kick chase like that for a long time. Where you just saw like the whole Irish team coming up in a close line and enveloping the man and not allowing you know New Zealand um, you know and we all know they score their tries off you know kick returns and and, and turnovers um, and the Irish just didn't let them do it. Um, didn't give them those you know all kicks were you know either straight to touch or contestable like they went a mile high um, yep. and they just put them under so much pressure and I think what we saw by the end and. This is the bit that really annoyed me. You know, when we lost, when we didn't score that try or we, got, we had that try disallowed was, you know, the importance of pressure in a match and the way that the Irish managed to keep that pressure on New Zealand and they are human and they absolutely fell apart. And by the last 10 minutes, they were an absolute rabble. So, you know, I had people on the blog trying to tell me that, oh, New Zealand's fixed all those mental things. They can always come back from any situation. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, they had a good old push in that second half, but the Irish kept it up, and I don't know where they got that fitness from, um, but they managed to do it for 80 minutes. And, you know, it was, it was, a, it was an, a lesson indeed of, of, you know, how you turn the tables on New Zealand, I thought. Yeah, the, the other thing they did really well, the thing that really caught my eye was, was the defensive work. And, and they really... They really ran up out of the line. They really attacked the All Black back line. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've seen that in the past, and the All Blacks managed to get around them. But they just – they were – 
you know, persistent. They just never stopped. They just never got on the chance to break out. It was so effective. Um, and they're doing across the park, all of them. And, and like you say, the kick chase, the, so the, def- the chase of the defence. So Connor um, uh, Murray, the, the, the nine, was just superb. Um, and he mm. scored a bro- cracking try. But his, his box kick, his, his when he kicked, w- was so good. And he had, what's the winger's name? Zebo and, and, and Andrew Trimble, um, the other winger, who were, was fantastic. Trimble, particularly in defence, shutting down Sevilla. So, but Zebo with his chase uh, was electric but they, they just never gave the All Blacks an inch and I, here's the stat for you and Hugh you mentioned um, uh, the Wallabies uh, stellar discipline the Irish gave away four penalties this game so I, I doubt the All Blacks mm-hmm. I'd love to know the last time anyone scored gave away so few penalties against the All Blacks so the All Blacks gave away 12 but four penalties it just means the pressure's always on the All Blacks were not getting that respite as you say it was such an impressive performance and you know a, a, a thrilling match and you know you know we had that Japan South Africa one last year but this was just as significant I thought it was just a wonderful occasion mm-hmm. and it's brilliant and I mean it's brilliant for the rest of us I think because we just need those seeds of doubt to keep sowing <laughs> in the yeah. All Black mind which is that guys it doesn't always come good you know, when you you know in those last ten minutes and they were within a try, um, it doesn't necessarily turn around. And um, you know, I think it's for the you know the rest of us to step up and keep that pressure on. Um, you know, the, the Wallabies made a few little inroads this season, but then the Irish have absolutely capped it. I think they did a absolutely fantastic job. And let's recognise the. Uh the awesome moment at the Harker too when the All Blacks lined up to do their Harker and the Irish responded or, or created their own uh, figure eight out of respect for Axel Foley, um, which mm-hmm. was just amazing. And, and better yet, they, they backed it up uh, on the day as well. So just a, a special occasion over there in Chicago and the, on the back of the World Series baseball as well. So w- what an amazing performance by the Irish. So congratulations. Uh, sure, Reg, surely you've got to give you know, Hugh a chance to congratulate the Irish, his favourite other, you know, non-Australian team. I mean, Hugh, you want to chime in there, surely? Oh, of course. Well done to <laughs> Ireland. It's 111 <laughs> years, but uh, but uh, got got there in the end. So yeah. <laughs> you're going to do the classic All Black supporter congratulations of um, you know saying how well the um, Irish team was coached. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And then look, yeah, the All Blacks, the All Blacks didn't really switch on for it. So you know, you you kind of got to. Yeah, you know, the, the, it's not like a Bledisloe where the All Blacks come to play. You know, it's uh, just a, a sort of a stop on the way to Europe for them. But uh, yeah. there was an absolutely, it was actually a muppet who came on the blog, uh, calls himself the genius, um, has a picture of Richie Mokor holding the World Cup as his avatar. Um, I suspect that's on his bedroom wall at home, and um, and and came on and he had this list of really fake platitudes. Well done, the Irish, da 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 da. And then got stuck into what he really wanted to say, which was, but the All Blacks had been on um, an onerous um, promotional duty that week, oh. and so they hadn't been prepared, you know, da 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 da. And then it was just like there was a listening of people saying, "You pillock," um, underneath it. But um, yeah, so it was so great to have those really gracious um, flying monkeys back. <laughs> the flying monkeys love it. All right, we're going to crack on, boys. Uh, question four. So we've got a couple of domestic-based questions here. So just li- late last week, uh, after the last podcast, it was released details of the June Test Series next year. Obviously, the All Blacks uh, host the Lions, which just diminishes the uh, quality elsewhere. But uh, it means that we have got the Wallabies taking on Fiji in Melbourne and then Scotland in Sydney and Italy in Brisbane, all afternoon games in that June window. Hugh, can you get excited about that? 
is it the afternoon rugby enough to keep you uh, keep you thrilled on that? Occasion? Oh yeah, look, I think it's hard at this point in time to, to to sort of project excitement for you know you're right they're they're not the best of opponents, but I think when the time comes, uh, the, the the appeal of these tests is always it's, it's the first chance to see the Wallabies for for a year, and we would have gone through a lot of Super Rugby, and there's always the speculation around new players and old players, and who's going to wear the gold jersey in those first few tests and, and seeing how they do. I think, um, you know, it's probably not going to be packed houses and it won't have the same appeal that the England series did. I don't think anyone would pretend that for a second, but um, I still think there'll be plenty of things for us to, to watch and I'll still be there and, and really looking forward to it when it comes around. Um, look, you know, the afternoon test, I think it's a good move by the AU. Let's hope to get some families in. Hopefully they can match it with some affordable tickets and um, and we can try and get as many people in as possible because, um you know, we, we we don't want to write off Scotland at all um, because, you know, we've seen what they can do to us in Australia if, if, if they get uh, things in their favour. And, and Fiji are also a, a pretty good up-and-coming side who we struggle to put away in the World Cup. So I think we always start a bit scratchy too, so I don't think they're going to be uh, by any means easy easy matches. So, um, yeah, I mean, the our focus is obviously going to be on the lines, but uh, I think these will be okay. Mate, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be more than bloody happy if we can get three wins and maybe see some points. Um, yeah. With what's happened of, of recent, like, um, yeah, some, if, if they turn out to be easy wins, I, I'm not sure they will. Um, I'd be, I'd be happy down there with the, um, belly full of beer in the sunshine. Um, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, I think it, I think it'd be fine. Mate, I just hope the yeah, you get behind it. I've said it somewhere else. It's great putting on at three o'clock and saying it's family friendly, but if they've got to get the ticket pricing right now, they, they should, get these at just above cost or whatever the market they sent it and just try and concentrate on selling this place out. Because, look, Scotland will be depleted. They won't have the likes of Stuart Hogg and those other names that Matty Hannay just talked about. That Those guys will be mm-hmm. off with the Lions. So it won't be a full-strength Lions team. Fiji are loved to death, and, and we've got to do all we can to support them. I wonder if those – what time of the season that? The, well, the French clubs, I guess it's the test window. The French clubs got to release their, their, their first-choice players. Um, and then I talk about Italy at Suncorp Stadium. That that worries me. I don't think we've played Italy in Brisbane since the professional era, perhaps. Um, and, you know, I just hope the, uh, there's actually a really strong Italian community here and they're not just around the corner in Park Road and Milton there. There's some a great little Italian community that goes off when there's football on, the Football World Cup. I just hope the ARU or the QAU are out there engaging with them and and try and create a bit of atmosphere around it because otherwise it, it'll be a, a big dud event, which is not what Australian rugby needs at the moment. Mm. Um, look, the other big thing that's happening in 217, that's recent news, which shocked me. In, in, a, in an off-season where there has been some, let's face it, pretty amazing uh, uh, signings by some of these provincials, Tatafu Palata now is off to the Western Force. Um, firstly, did that blow your mind? And two... What do you think it's going to do for the force, Matt? Mate, it did blow my mind. And has, is it is it because his bath deal fell through? Is, is that what happened? Yeah, or, or Bristol. I, I think there was oh, an Bristol, issue. Right? Cause, yes, because he's meant to be over there now. And I think he's got a broken arm or a fractured arm. And he can't play now. So they, you know, they cancel his contract. But it doesn't mean he can't play come February next year. And the Tars mm. are obviously full. They've got Fitzpatrick, uh, Latu and Hugh Roach. And um, the force have come to the party. 
Well, I mean, yeah, look, um, <laughs> yeah, funny times, right, uh, with, with, with what's going on with the force. I, I assume he's, he's signed for a year. Um, yep, yep. You know, he's, if, you know, good to have a big name out there. Good to break things up a bit. I mean, he's, he's spent pretty much his whole career at the Tars, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, how can it not be good for, you know, yeah, for, for rugby from that perspective? I mean, I've got, yeah, God, I think there are bigger questions going on with the force at the moment and that whole sort of um, shareholder mm. shenanigans that's going on, um, that's really, really interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I if, if they're seriously going to say that's a share, you know, for a thousand bucks um, for what, you know, could well be disappearing in a year. If they actually raise the five million bucks, they're, you know, they're hoping to raise there and then it kind of vaporizes after a year. I, you'd have to have ASIC asking questions unless it's framed as some sort of a membership where it's like a super expensive membership, basically. And so in which case, for some strange reason, you know, you'd be able to burn your mugs like that. I, I have real questions over the ethics in this, um, whether you say, well, you know, fleece the fans, who, who cares what happens? Um, because there's a lot of talk going around rugby circles that this is a done deal. Um, and, you know, it's just a matter of time. So I've got, a, I've got quite a few concerns about that. And obviously Taft going to, to the force has nothing to do with that except, you know, and I, and I hope he does goes and, he, and I hope he plays well and I hope he contributes. Um, there, there are just bigger questions I've got over there at the moment. Yeah, well, Matt, to be fair, this was a burning, a fast. What was it? What <laughs> I was going to say thing, the same Campbell? thing, Reg. Take it, I was take it away. I say the same thing. Matt, it would have been great for you to raise this on last week's podcast. Um, where did you get to uh, having to get to? I was, it? I was tired and emotional, mate, after a long Melbourne Cup. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we'll <laughs> next time we'll. <laughs> we had a great discussion on the force. I think you're really saying, yeah, some 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 points that we raised. But but to to to. To take it more seriously, Reg, it was always interesting with Tatafi Pollard now that, you know, from about the second half of the super season, it was always sort of billed as this, you know, watch this space, Tatafi's going to announce he's signed overseas, um, as a few of the sort of uh, older players did in, the, in those last few months. And it never really came. And then we went through this whole farewell phase with him and we said goodbye without really knowing where he was going. And, yeah. you know, they had a farewell for him at the Waratahs' end-of-season function and still no announcement about him signing somewhere. So it wasn't a huge surprise to me to see it, it be knocked back because obviously there was some issue because the whole thing had been percolating since, you know, around June. Uh, and then with his injury history, I think, you know, these days the, the, those clubs are so cautious. So it, it doesn't altogether surprise me to see him come back, but to see him come back to the force is a bit of a... It's a bit of a shock. I thought he might have ended up somewhere like Japan or in, you know, the, the French second division or somewhere like that. But, um, look, fantastic news for the force. I think they've they've finally, you'd say this is probably their, a marquee player. I can't remember the last time they've signed an active Wallaby. Yep. And, you know, one that would make our 22. So he's, he's still a fantastic player. There's a, a bit of a vacancy at hooker there with... Um, Nathan Charles, I think, leaving and, and um, probably Harry Scobles are still maybe a year or two away. So yep. fantastic for, for those guys. And Heath Tessman's a good player, but probably not up to the, the class that, that uh, TPN has. So, look, I think it's, it's great. great, And um, the more marketable figures that they can get over there and, and, you know, whether or not it's a fate complete that they're moving next year, I mean, 
let's yeah, 2017 can still be a great year for them, and and TPN he, he can only help that, I'd imagine. Yeah, I just want to say, um, uh, despite your protestations there, Matt, this is uh, the AAU have really come to the party with this, and they strongly encourage them to go there. Tataf was really keen to get involved with community rugby, and by all reports, is legitimately going over there to help Western Australian rugby. So good for him. He's a wonderful guy, and it's great that he's in the game. Uh, but some interesting uh, developments today, Matt, that we should allude to, we can't get stuck into, but we'll have to draw it out uh, pretty soon, isn't there? Well, and indeed, I mean, just as we were getting ready for the podcast, an, uh, an email came through, came through. So I'm sure this will be all over, all over the papers by tomorrow. So um, you guys might have um, read it. Whoever's kind of listening to this has maybe already seen it. But um, yeah, basically, the, 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 the release goes like this. The Australian Rugby Union has committed to a review of the 2016 to 2020 Australian Rugby Strategic Plan following a meeting of the key rugby constituents in Sydney. Um, so this is this thing where I think, you know, the Cameron Klein and then Simon Point have been brought together a bunch of representatives from the game, including community rugby, schools rugby, senior club rugby, and the professional game, including administrators, players, coaches, and volunteers. So, you know, we don't know exactly who was there, but it was very, very wide-ranging, and it wasn't just um, Shoot Shield clubs, but, um, you know, community rugby um, as well. It, they go through it basically saying, look, we're going to review the plan, which I happen to believe is a very, very big concession, um, but was very interesting at the end of this email um, is no further comment will be made regarding the meeting, full stop. <laughs> so that's it. We're not allowed to talk about it anymore. No, g- game over. Go, move along here. Nothing to see. Um, I don't think I'll, – I'll disagree with you, Matt, as I said uh, offline before. I don't know if that is a huge concession. I think that's something that they would have probably said regardless, that they're going to review the strategic plan. I think we'll learn a lot more about it. When they do, if they do release a, a an updated strategic plan, and what changes that that might uh, involve? It could be something very, very um, surface. You know, something on the surface where they'll you know give a little bit of money to each shoot shield club, but that's that. Or whether they do go and do a bit of a wholesale renovation and put more of their power back in the hands of people at the coalface, and whether they you know look to um, outsource the, the the development in some regions to to local clubs, or whether they choose to still operate out of head office, um, it, it will be uh, interesting to see. Well, in some ways, mate, to back up your point would be that that's, that strategic plan is moot anyway because it was yeah. based on the idea that there was you know overflow money that was going to actually go anywhere. That's gone. I mean, there's a hole in every single super rugby club now, um, which is just hemorrhaging. And the ARU are going to be lucky to keep their head above the water on the base they've got now let alone figure out how they recarve where that money's going to. So, you know, to back up your point is they don't have to do that anyway because the whole thing's shot. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy give. On the face of things, though, you say, I have admit how much money they spent and time they spent working with Accenture to get that thing done to say, oh, actually, you're right, we didn't talk to enough people, I think is a bit of a mea culpa because it says, yeah, we stuffed it, we didn't talk to the right people. Yeah, big big issues, big issues, and uh, we won't resolve them now in the 10 seconds. We've got less on the podcast, unfortunately. Um, Stop talking about it. (laughs) <laughs> but it's yeah, exactly no more of the overview you have to creed. So, look, uh, thanks for the show. Cracking show tonight, Matt and Hugh. Well done, the Wallabies. And uh, let's hope they can do it up again this week versus the Scots, eh? Um, yep. And, and another week, all... another flogging. Here we go. Come on, Wallabies. <laughs> Come on, Wallabies. And to all our listeners, enjoy. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week. But keep an eye on the blog for all the latest news in Aussie rugby. Sport is out. Turnover. Australia. Now there's danger. real danger. Great pass, Arnold to Coleman. Foley is going to score. And nobody deserves a try more than Bernard Foley.